The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. We want to move on to our uh, Big 11. The latest data points to wind energy providing 34% of Ireland's electricity needs last year, as well as helping to avoid the purchase of some €2 billion worth of gas. So could wind energy hold the key to drastically reducing our dependence on imported fossil fuels and help us meet our climate targets? Well, I'm joined by the CEO of Wind Energy Ireland, Noan Knuff, and by the CEO on the line of Shannon Foyne's port, Pat Keating, to whom we've spoken before on the programme. Good morning and welcome to you both. Uh, I want to start with you, Noel, just to give us an overview of where we are with wind. Um, how much generation is installed onshore mm. and how much offshore? Sure. So uh, Ireland's story with wind energy started about 30 years ago. Our, our oldest onshore wind firm was built in 1992, so it's been active for 31 years now. Uh, over the last 30 years, then, we've built up to where we're at today, where over a third of Ireland's electricity now comes from onshore wind energy. So that's an installed capacity of about 4,500 megawatts. Now, our, on some days, it can be higher than 34. That's the average for the year. Absolutely. So on some days, uh, particularly over the winter periods, we've actually been providing over over 90% of all of Ireland's electricity. Then you have the counter to that where there are days during the summer where there are days where it's less than 10%, but on average it's over a third. And our goal now between now and 2030 is to grow that up so that 80% of our electricity on average is coming from renewables. So it's a fairly significant increase, particularly as we're looking to electrify as much of our economy as possible, electrify our heating and our transport. Now, how much uh, onshore is there? How much offshore? So there's 4,500 megawatts of onshore and our goal between now and 2030 is to double that to get to 9,000 megawatts. And is that the limit? I mean, in terms of the rules and regulations, how far windmills must be from people's homes uh, and so on and so forth, is that how you see the limit to the possibility of onshore? No, I don't think it's the limit. And the main reason I don't think it's the limit is that the technology has advanced so much in the last three decades. We're starting to reach the point now where the older wind farms in Ireland will start to what's called repower, where you'll take down the older turbines and you'll put up more modern turbines. So same tower but uh, a different blade. It, depending on the exact circumstance and the planning conditions, uh, it may be, but uh, in other cases it won't be. To give you an example, there's a, a wind farm in Donegal which is planning permission now to replace its 27 turbines with 13 modern turbines, but its power increase is actually going to quadruple because of Okay, that. so fewer turbines, fewer towers, if you like, on the horizon, but they're taller and the blades are more efficient, the turbines are more efficient. Exactly. So we can continue growing the capacity, particularly through repowering. Um, just to take offshore for a second, uh, again, Ireland was actually a really uh, great starter for offshore wind energy. Our, our only offshore wind farm was built in 2004. At the time, those uh, seven turbines off the coast of Arklow uh, were three megawatt blades. They were the, the largest in the world at the time. But since then, we've completely stalled. It's the only wind farm that we have. Uh, and from now to 2030, we have to grow that up to 7,000 megawatts from the 25 now, that we have today. How, how visible are those turbines from Arklow? Uh, anyone that drives down the coast will, will, will see okay, them. The, the point is that there are some people who object on the base of visual obtrusiveness. But, I mean, you're going to drive from Belfast to Wexford and you're going to see them 
all the way along the Irish Sea, isn't that? So so? where we're at at the moment is we're trying to go from a standing start in offshore to where we will be at by 2030, where we have about maybe 10 offshore wind farms around the coast of Ireland. The first phase of that will be through uh, six projects which are progressing towards an auction this year and will be entering into the planning system this year. Five of those are on the east coast, as you mentioned, and one will be off the west coast. Those projects will need to achieve planning permission. They'll need to compete in an auction uh, in order to obtain a contract from the government and then construct. So we hope to have those online by 2028. When you say a contract from the government, what kind of a contract is that? Is that a guaranteed uh, uh, minimum price per unit? It's a guaranteed minimum and maximum price per unit. So the way it works is that the projects will bid in the price that they believe they need to achieve for, for their electricity and that will be the price that they receive. And then any time the price in the electricity market is above that in the wholesale market, they'll actually pay back to consumers. And that's what we're seeing in the more recent auctions for onshore wind and solar energy. As those projects connect, they're getting that fixed price. So when the wholesale price is higher, they're paying back okay. to consumers. Um, perhaps it's worth explaining a- about the auction market, the way it works. Uh, when uh, power is sold uh, and say Airgrid is desperate for uh, some more power and some gas turbine kicks in mm. and they pay a top price for that, everybody gets that price. So how the electricity market just works today, as you've just described it there, is based on the wholesale price. So the price is set by by the last unit of electricity provided. And so that'll be expensive. It's going to be expensive, exactly. And that's where the advantage... And everybody of- gets that price. I mean, what a wonderful situation it is. But it doesn't benefit the consumer. Well, uh, that cost is passed on to the consumer through the uh, engagements with the suppliers. The suppliers buy it off the wholesale market. Where the advantage of wind energy comes in is the more wind energy we have on the system, then the more we can push off those expensive units of gas. So, yeah. but t- Isn't that the point though? If you have new situations where irrespective of wars in Ukraine or mm. wherever else in the world that might compromise the fossil fuel supply, if you have a maximum price set by government, well then there is a limit to what people will have to pay. There, exactly, for those renewable energy projects but, that are coming forward. But, but, but not for the current ones. Uh, some of the current ones would have that fixed price and then others, then their contracts would depend on what they have with the supplier for the price that they receive. Uh, just to give an example, in January, the month just gone by, uh, on the least windy days, the price in the wholesale market was €196 Euro per megawatt hour and on the most windy days, it was €133. Euro. Okay. So that's it. So a the more wind reduction. you have on offer, the, the, it, it could be that you're buying very little gas or fossil fueled uh, units. In, in an ideal world, exactly. And that's how last year, as you mentioned right in, at the beginning, wind energy avoided uh, Ireland needing to pay €2 billion Euro on gas last year. So yeah. by 2030... But Ireland saved on the gas, go. not the consumer, because the consumer still had to pay a lot of money. You well, know, well, the consumer... Because it, of the auction it, system. In, incredibly, uh, given the, the ma- massive increase that every consumer and household has experienced in bills, those prices would have been even higher if that wind energy had not been there. Yeah, the wind energy kind of pulls down it the price. It depresses the price, exactly. Yeah. Now, the the projects that you mentioned, there's Oriel Wind Park, Arklow Bank 2, Bray Bank, Kish Bank, North Irish Sea Array, uh, Cottling Wind Park, there's one and two, and then the one off the west coast is Skirred Rocks, that's off Galway. They're all rooted to, th- to the seabed, isn't that so? They're, yeah, they're what's called fixed bottom offshore wind turbines. So fixed bottom technology is suitable uh, to about a depth of 60 metres of, of water 
and it is the overwhelming uh, majority of offshore wind farms right around the world would be what's called fixed bottom technology. So, so off the coast of Denmark, for example, they'd all be fixed to the bottom. Exactly, exactly. And and where Ireland's advantage will come in in the 2030s in particular, and I'm sure it's very exciting for Pat, uh, is for floating offshore wind farms off the West Coast. So that's where you can uh, deploy offshore wind turbines in deeper waters, uh, but they are then anchored to the seafloor. So you can go down to depths of about a kilometre. That technology is really starting to reach commercial stages now and the 2030s are really when it's going to take Okay, off. so how many of those floating arrays are out there at the moment? Uh, relatively small number. The, the largest is in mm. Scotland. I'm just wondering how they will uh, sustain the, the, the weather of the Atlantic. It's well, well the, as I mentioned, the largest is in Scotland's being exposed to the, the Atlantic yeah. Ocean as it currently is. So that's something that's been tested for years now. Um, though that technology can be ready to deploy in Ireland by 2030. And it really is where uh, a, a lot of people in the industry see Ireland's mm. opportunity in the future for a large manufacturing base and supply chain base once we have mm. our offshore wind sector off the ground. Yeah, it's just that, that notion that one of them breaks free. There's a, a freaky storm because of global warming. One of them breaks free. It's heading for Gulf way and we have a disaster movie on our hands. Well, I, I don't think that it, it, as part we of the planning... We deploy the RAF to blow it up. <laughs> well, <laughs> I as, see it all. As part of the, the planning application, be it for an onshore wind farm or an offshore wind farm, all of these types of uh, possibilities need to be considered mm. and then they're avoided, minimised or mitigated in, in various measures. Now, Pat Keating, CEO of Shannon Foynes Port, uh, you see a big future for your port in, in contributing to the offshore wind uh, business. Yeah, good morning, Pat. Good morning, Noel. Uh, yeah, absolutely, Pat. Um, we, we, we've actually quantified the potential that's on our doorstep, I suppose, at 70 gigawatts of potential power using uh, floating offshore technology. So that is a huge number, okay. as you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, just to yeah. clarify, because uh, numbers are numbers and numbers. What's yeah. the current demand? I, I'll go back uh, to, to you, Noel. What's the current demand for the whole country uh, in terms of yeah, gigawatts? So it, 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 it's roughly the grid in today's state is roughly five and a half to six. Okay, all right. That, that so, d- so that's a multiple of roughly thirteen times. Yeah. Or if you want to put it another way, almost seventy money pint power stations. You know, it's huge. Okay, so uh, so well, I was trying to get a handle on how much we'd have to spare because uh, yeah. on the windy days and the Atlantic is windy pretty much all mm-hmm. the time to a le- yeah. greater or lesser degree. We could be a massive exporter to to Europe. I mean, competing with I, nuclear output in France, for example. Absolutely, and I think this is this is really the transformational piece in all of this. You know, heretofore Ireland has all always been a net importer of energy. This is hugely transformational because for the first time in our history, we can actually be energy independent and have surpluses to exports to Europe, who by 2050 have quantified their demand at 300, or sorry, 450 gigawatts by 2050. So that even dwarfs that figure I have said to you there. So. Yeah. I suppose what that says is, look, you know, we have to change our mindset around energy in this country hugely, how we plan for it, how we deliver it. Um, And we need to stop thinking in terms of domestic demand. What we have is a huge resource on our doorstep. And this, this, by the way, is an infinite resource of zero emitting green energy. Yeah. I mean, if that's a product we can sell, what can we sell? So that is is what we have. Uh, The challenge is obviously it's to get it to the market where it's needed and using the technology that's available now. And, and as, as Noel said there, it has to be commercialised further in, ter- in terms yeah. of, I suppose, now, mass production. Now, now this could turn us into Norway in terms of its oil and gas. 
we could be the Norway of, of, of wind. Norway will be doing its own thing in wind, of course, as well. But we could be the Norway of wind and what that would mean for the economy generally. I mean, I know wind generates jobs and you've got figures from Denmark, but <laughs> we might not need the jobs. We could have money at the bank for every citizen based on this industry. What? Well, I suppose, and, and we look at what's happening today, you know, with the uncertainty around, um, you know, you know, there's job cuts across the ICT sector, obviously. This is an indigenous resource. This, this can be owned and managed by Ireland Inc., if you like. We're not depending on boardroom decisions in New York or Berlin or whatever. You know, this is our resource. Um, and, and therefore, I suppose, and, and, you know, the opportunity gives in terms of jobs. For example, even our own uh, Department of Enterprise calculated about 2.5 jobs per megawatt um, in the construction phase of this. So, you know, if, even if, you know, we've quantified a very conservative delivery of, of 10,000 megawatts by 2050, that's 23,000 jobs just, you know, and, and that is across the board in terms of, you know, engineering, maritime transport, surveying, you name it. You know, so a very diverse kind of uh, sector as well in terms of the skill sets that okay. require. So. And now let's talk about the hoops, because anyone who proposes something like this, whether it's a, an international uh, company like Bechtel or whoever, it, and Shell we know pulled out at the idea you go to the maritime area regulatory authority mara so-called and you apply to them and if they like the cut of your jib then you go to on board planola god help you yeah yeah well you do uh, but i think pat you've even to step up a, a few layers before that because right now i suppose we need you know a government um, you know an all a strategic policy around the delivery of this so okay, we have a, we have seventy, and the seventy gigawatts is close in, by the way. So it's very manageable. But what what do we need to do to start har- harnessing that? Now, in the seventy gigawatts will take you know thirty, forty, fifty years to to develop, if you like. But we have to start somewhere. And what do we need to start? So we need to call it out that yes, as a country, we are now energy independent. So how do, how do we plan to get that energy to the markets where it's required or the route to markets? Uh, so we have to start thinking about this kind of with an enterprise uh, mindset rather than maybe an energy security of supply mindset, which is which, you know, and that's the difference. And this is the transformational piece where, where for example, we are no longer as a country uh, potentially going to be short on energy. We have actually more than we need. We need to export this energy to our European neighbours, part of the European community who have a huge requirement. Uh, so, so therefore, you know, if we if we start looking at that that way, and then we say we, we need to start, say, well, how are we going to manage our grid, our international grid? You know, the, the delivery chain for this, what's required, yeah. port infrastructure, for example. Yeah, uh, uh, so uh, grid I, I don't know would, what the capacity is of the interconnectors to carry power at the moment. Do you know? No, well, it, what, it, what? it's about a gigawatt over to Great Britain, and then we have a, a new oh. interconnector that's being built between Ireland and France that will be coming online in 2026, and that's about 700 megawatts. So, Pat, Pat's so completely we need right. more. We need to really expand our our interconnection to other jurisdictions and our offshore grid. To to go back to a point just quickly that you made. Um, uh, Pat in relation to the planning system. The planning system is, is certainly the largest barrier that is there at the moment for the offshore projects to proceed. Uh, if you Do you think we need a, a particular branch of the planning board or even a new planning board to deal with this? Because, I mean, uh, a crowd who are dealing with eight-storey apartment blocks and one-off houses in the countryside, I mean, their capacity to deal with the complexities, the scientific and technical complexities of wind... Mm 
I th- I'd say it's beyond them. Well, I think capacity is the, is the right word that you've used there. If you take even for onshore wind energy at the moment, the statutory time frame that Onboard Planola uh, should be making decisions in is about 18 weeks, but in reality it's closer to 18 months. So if we take those offshore projects we discussed earlier on the East Coast and West Coast, they'll all be going in for planning applications in the second half of this year. And we need, all the, together. Right, we need the right sort of skills and expertise on, on that side. So getting more resources into the planning system is something that we as a country need to focus on. We can't have a situation where the state and industry are competing for the same people. We need to find some sort of solution so that everybody can can come together, uh, be it through secondments or be it through some other sort of uh, in, in, initiative to get people into the planning system. But so is it appropriate that the, you should have the same crowd doing, as I say, apartment blocks and warehouses as are doing offshore wind? I mean, We, we need marine expertise, absolutely. And this is where we can take advantage of uh, some of our neighbouring countries who have had experience in offshore wind energy for the past 10, 15 years. There's been a lot of expertise built up there that we can perhaps okay. uh, bring uh, into our to, to you both a question from uh, one of the listeners. Who will own the wind energy infrastructure? Uh, well, uh, I suppose Airgrid well, will have to own well, well, the, well, the I, bits I, that connect. But then these offshore farms, will they be snapped up by foreign companies just like housing, you know, the, the investment trusts and lately forestry? So there's uh, so the offshore grid, as you've just mentioned, that will be owned by AirGrid, absolutely. So the ownership of those that's the simple will tra- transfer over to it. For the uh, offshore wind farms, it's typically a private investment that is making the investment to build one of these wind farms. You need an investment in the region of about one to two billion euro to build one of these wind farms, but there is state involvement. So the likes of ESB, Board and Mona, they're involved in offshore wind energy. So there's certainly a state companies that are involved. Okay, in but this. this will be a commercial free for all. Whoever has got the money to invest will then harvest the wind but uh, depending on the contracts they get the price will be predetermined. So there's multiple ways that they'll contribute back to the state. They'll be paying an annual say lease for the, the area the seabed that they'll be building the turbines on. As I've mentioned there's a fixed price for that contract so they will be paying back to consumers whenever the wholesale market price is higher than that as it has been over the last few years. And then there's a huge uh, amount of jobs and, and economic opportunities that are going to be created out of this. Uh, as Pat mentioned there's in the region of potentially 10,000 jobs that could be there from the offshore wind sector by 2030. And key to this is not just the planning system, but it's mm. investment in our ports like in Shannon Foyne so that we can build those offshore wind farms from ports around Ireland. Yeah, Pat, you see huge possibilities for Foynes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I suppose where our forte is, is the proximity to the resource that I've spoken about and the development out of, you know, the deep uh, water port infrastructure. You know, our natural asset is the Shannon Estuary, which is deep sheltered water, which is what you need uh, for this uh, particularly uh, sector um, and therefore you know you have I suppose a couple of strands to this it, it, one part is the delivery chain or the supply chain where you actually you know uh, um, build a lot of the, the turbines the floating structures uh, you know on the Shannon Estuary but then there's the route to markets which you just touched on there which part of it one piece of it is just the grid or, or, or the interconnection there's also the potential to produce uh, downstream alternative fuels such as hydrogen and green ammonia methanol and time yeah. Um, also, the, the supergrid, um, uh, which has been developed by a company called Supernode, um, and then you have hybrid structures as well, where you might have countries like Germany or Holland, you know, taking the power directly. But I think you kind of touched there, once we create the power, it's a bit like Michael O'Leary's models with airports, you know, once you create the footfall, 
we can be creative then in how we actually, you know, um, uh, create revenue streams from that, you know. So, you know, if, if people are using our offshore grid, well, obviously you charge them for that as well. So, okay. so uh, I think the first piece of this is making it attractive, making this product investable, because at mm-hmm. the moment it's not investable by anybody. Uh, you know, people can't really complete their initial surveys even. So, you know, for floating or for the West Coast or the South Coast. So, you know, there's a lot of work to be well, done. What do you mean it's not side. investable? I mean, is this not an entrepreneurial gamble that uh, companies will take as they do when they look for oil or no, gas. I, I'm, I'm not talking about uh, from a commercial standpoint. I'm actually talking from a policy standpoint. I mean, the policy, Irish policy at the moment doesn't allow, I suppose, companies um, survey or, or, or inform their project plans for floating Okay, they don't know where the government stands, therefore they're not willing to, to go there yeah. until they see a rules-based well, well, they can't. system. It's not even that they, they are absolutely willing, and we've seen that, but but they can't. They're not, they're not I suppose, enabled to. Uh, so that's what needs to change, and that's what I keep referring back to. The, our our mm. policy, our ambition here at central government needs to be called out strongly. For example, you know, why don't we call for an auction, for a floating offshore auction, you know, this decade? Um, because, you know, we have to work back, absolutely agree that we won't see floating offshore wind farms until the early 2030s. But the port infrastructure and the green infrastructure has to be put in place by about 2028, 2029 to accommodate that. And, and you know, that, that has a lead time of about six to seven years. That brings us right back to today. So therefore, you know, we have no time in this. Um, and, and what's required here of the government is policy changes, I suppose, resource allocation. Um, uh, and you know, and you know, that's relative to the resource that doesn't cost a lot of money. All right, but we certainly need to change the mandates to the various we, agencies we, who are responsible. Thank you, Pat, very much for joining us. Pat Keating, CEO of Shannon Foyne's Port. And uh, no last question to you from a listener: Why are the windmills all white? Uh, I think it's uh, to do with safety and, and airplanes being visibility. Visibility, exactly. And just to end with, uh, if, if it's okay, Pat, Ireland, we have the best wind resources on the planet, and if we can deliver that, and if we can make the policies work as Pat has set out okay. that we can have cheaper energy more jobs so the best resource emissions. and the worst laggard when it comes to getting things done Noel Kniff who's CEO of Wind Energy Ireland uh, thank you very much for joining us The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance weekdays at 9am on News Talk.